Second Samuel chapter 13, please. Second Samuel 13, for those visiting with us today, I'll tell you a little bit about where we're at in, in our studies here. We, we usually are going through some series. We try to preach through uh, books of the Bible or things like that. Currently, we're in a series on the lessons from the life of David, and we're, we're kind of getting toward the end of it now. We've only got a few more that we'll probably look at. But rather than being an expository type series, this has been more of a what practical lessons can we learn from these various events in the life of David. And today will be another one of those. So Second Samuel chapter 13. Let's start reading in verse number 1. After this Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. For she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend, whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, He was very angry, and Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass, after two full years, that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, 
So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were on the way, that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead. For only Amnon is dead. Father God, thank you so much for the word. And once again, Lord, as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, we see that the Bible hides nothing that is instructive to us. And Lord, here in this vile story, here in this sad uh, debacle, there is something for us to see. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord God, today to say those things I ought to say, to not say anything I ought not. I pray, Father, you would help this message to come out in a way that is uh, not hurtful to anyone. I pray, Lord, also that, uh, Father, you would just be our teacher. So speak to us today. Teach us. This simple principle from the life of David, and really from the life of Amnon today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this story, we do read about a fellow by the name of Amnon. Amnon was David's eldest son, and Amnon was the heir to the throne. Now, there are a lot of different things we could look at from this story. Uh, all kinds of different sermons we could preach in different directions we could go. We could talk, for example, about the fact that whatsoever you sow, you shall also reap. And clearly that would be the case here, would it not? Clearly what we're seeing take place here is just the beginnings of what was you know, prophesied by Nathan in chapter 12. David's adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah took place there. Here in this chapter we now see the adultery of Amnon the murder of Absalom. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We could talk about that because it's clearly taught here in this passage. We could also talk this morning about the importance of parental example. Do you see that here? I sure do. Is it not possible, even probable, that Amnon learned his behavior from his father? Is that not possible? After all, it's been said that approximately 80% of a child's learning is by observation. 
One man said children in their youth naturally consider the evil example of their parents as an excuse why they may follow in their steps. And grown-up ones, too, are emboldened and confirmed in sin by the sinful conduct of fathers and mothers. Beth and I went and spent some time with family members over the 4th of July. As we were driving up there in the car, uh, one of my favorite songs came on the radio, The Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. What a great song. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. There were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. and He was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. i got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. See, my new job's a hassle and kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. It's one of the greatest songs ever been written, I think. And we could certainly talk about that from this passage, could we not? The importance of parental example. We could also talk about the importance of parental discipline. Look at verse number 21. I think verse 21 is a very instructive verse here. Verse number 21, when, David, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. He was very angry, and he did absolutely nothing. We could talk about the importance of parental discipline. Neither as king where he had a responsibility to deal with this situation, nor his father, where he had a responsibility to deal with it, did he do a single thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, add the following to verse number 21. But he did not punish punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. The absence of parental discipline. Something similar is said about another of David's sons, Adonijah, in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 6. He'll be the fourth of the sons to die uh, in fulfillment of the prophecy that Nathan gave. But of Adonijah, it is said his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? David, like Eli and Samuel before him, had absolutely no control over his sons. Now, there may be reasons for that. Maybe his own terrible example weighed too heavily on him. One source suggested that David's adultery with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, made it very difficult for him to correct his own sons. They simply knew too much about him. Maybe so. Maybe so. But whatever the reason, David should have taken some action, and he did not. And we could talk about that this morning, the importance of parental discipline. We could also talk about the fact that all must be constantly on their guard against sin. This was a major emphasis in both chapter 11 and chapter 12 and so we're not going to belabor it here again today. But it's certainly driven home here again, is it not? All of us must be on guard against sin. What we saw happen to David, a man after God's own heart in chapters 11 and 12. And Bathsheba now happens to Amnon, son of the king, heir to the throne in chapter 13. 
All of us must be constantly on our guard against sin because as Peter said, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We need to resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by our brotherhood in the world. Each of those topics could make up a whole sermon this morning. And you probably, as you read this passage along with me, you probably saw a few other things jump out at you there because there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this particular story in the Bible. But there's one particular one I want us to concentrate on this morning. It's in verse number 3. Take a look at verse number 3. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. That's our key verse this morning. As a matter of fact, I want us to concentrate on just five little words in that particular verse. But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. A couple of thoughts about Amnon's friend. First of all, Amnon's friend taught him how to sin. Amnon's friend taught him how to sin. Isn't it interesting that Jonadab showed absolutely no surprise whatsoever at the wicked suggestion that Amnon made? Perhaps it seemed normal to somebody who was well-versed in sin. He wasn't at all surprised. And isn't it interesting that Jonadab showed absolutely no hesitation whatsoever to helping him to accomplish this sin? Verse number 5, we could paraphrase this. Here, let me explain to you how to do that. Amnon's friend taught him how to sin. Amnon had a friend, but he apparently wasn't a true friend. How would a friend, a true friend, have handled this situation? Ben Franklin said one time, he said, the same man cannot be both friend and flatterer. There is a right way for a true friend to handle a situation like this. I'm reminded of a time many years ago, Beth and I had been married for just a short period of time. Uh, We had been coming here and then we left here and we started attending another church in the area. And uh, I had a very good friend there in the pastor of that church. His name was Gary Price. Some of you may have met Gary. I know Brother Phil knows him. Without going into any great great detail, I will say that during that period of time, uh, I got away from God. Uh, I quit going to church, and I just kind of got away from God. And uh, that was sin. It would always be sin. It's sin in anybody who gets away from church. You cannot be a Christian and not go to church. You just simply can't do it. Sin. And the Holy Spirit just beat me about the head and neck about that to where I I had to do something I couldn't take it. The chastisement of God was upon me. The conviction of the Holy Spirit was upon me. And that's another thing. If you're in a case like that and the Holy Spirit is not chastening you, if you are not under conviction for it, you need to be questioning your salvation. The Bible tells me if that's the case, you're an illegitimate child. You're not real. Well, he was beating me and I couldn't take it. And so finally one day I called up my friend, I guess a strange friend at that point. I called him up on the phone and I said, hey, i got to come by and see you. And so he said, come on. And so I went and I sat across the desk from him. And I I can still see that office. I can see everything about that office. And uh, he looked at me and he says, what can I do for you? And I said, I I, I just, I I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's wrong in my life. I don't don't know why I'm here. You know, just a bunch of nonsense I spewed. And he leaned across the table and he gave me this vicious hard look. And he said, I know what's wrong with you. He said, you're black backslid, Bill. You're not right with God. You're in sin. And you need to get right. And I'm telling you, Josh talked this morning about getting punched in the heart. He was just like that to me. 
It was just like somebody had taken a crowbar and smacked me right upside of the head. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was exactly what a true friend would say at that time in my life. You know, if Jonadab had been a true friend, he would have stood for the right instead of trying to push the wrong. He would have rebuked the very thought of sin. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. He would have led Amnon in the way of righteousness and away from the paths of sin instead of taking him right down it. Amnon had a friend, but he obviously was not the right kind of friend. Don't mistake the Jonadabs for true friends. Third thing, Amnon's friend was not around to pay the price. Did you notice that? Amnon died for his sin. What happened to Jonadab? That's what happens with all Jonadabs. They're not around to pay the price. Jonadab knew of Absalom's murderous intent toward his friend and did nothing about it. Did you notice that in verse number 32? I read all the way down there just so we would see that one thing. Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men. The king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. He knew all along that Amnon was gunning for his friend. Or that Absalom was gunning for his friend. He did nothing about it. Jonadab, like all such friends, was just as quick to turn on Amnon as he had been on Tamar. Amnon had a friend. Amnon's friend also, here's the fourth thing. Is not responsible for Amnon's sin. And this is important. He's not responsible. You remember Flip Wilson? Flip Wilson used to have a TV program and he'd dance around and say, The devil made me do it. You remember that? <laughs> We're never going to stand before God and say, The devil made me do it. Nor are we ever going to stand before God and say, My friend made me do it. We're going to be without excuse. Amnon was the one who sinned. God said, I will judge you, everyone, after his ways. There is no excuse. We stand alone. Before God. God exacted from Amnon the penalty, not from Jonadab. Now, don't get me wrong this morning, I'm not hack, hacking on friendship. I, I think friendship is wonderful. Friendship is vital. Friendship is a profitable thing. Ruth and Naomi in the Bible. David and Jonathan, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Barnabas and John Mark, Paul and Timothy. We could go on and on. There are some wonderful examples of godly friendship in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Jesus said, we are his friends. I love this passage in John chapter 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father have been done to you. I know he was specifically speaking that to his disciples, but I believe it applies to us as well. Friends. R.G. Lee said, together the links make the chain. Together the shingles make the roof. Together the bricks make the wall. United we stand. Divided we fall. True friends are wonderful. True friends are vital. True friends are important. Evangelist J. Wilbur Chapman once said that the New Testament has 40 different examples of uh, people being healed of disease by the Lord Jesus Christ. And of those 40, 34 were brought to him by friends. Friends are wonderful. We need friends. We need friends who will encourage us to do right and friends who will pray for us and 
friends who will remind us of what the Bible really teaches and remind us about how we need to deal with our sin. We need friends who will help us in our Christian walk, not hinder us. And that is, by the way, one of the most important reasons why we need need to be with God's people in church. Where else are we going to find the kind of friends that we need? True friends for the believer. True friendship is wonderful. See, it's bad friends that we're talking about here. Bad friends. That is the lesson from Amnon. Amnon had a friend. And really, that ought to be in quotes in our Bible. Ought to have little ticks around it. Because he wasn't really a friend. What kind of friends do you have? What kind of friends? If you have good and godly friends, thank God for them. Thank the Lord for them. But you know what? If you have friends like John and Dad, you know what you need to do to them? You need to kick them to the curb. You need to drop them like a hot rock. You need to get them out of your life. I know we could say, you know what? I want to win them to the Lord. Well, that's, that's true. You can do that from afar. Work on them. But you need to get them out of your life as an influence, as a friend. We need to remember the words of George Washington who said, Associate with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. That's a good quote. We ought to remember, you ought to write that one down in your Bible. It's better to be alone than in bad company. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. What kind of friends do you have this morning? My brother or my sister. Do you understand the influence they have in your life? Do you understand that they can influence you for good or for evil? That's why you need Christian friends, godly friends. The prophet Amos said, can two walk together unless they be agreed? What's the answer to that? No, they cannot. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. One man said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I don't suppose any drug addict has ever decided, woke up one morning and decided that they wanted to be a drug addict. Did you ever hear that happening? Woke up this morning and I think I'll become a heroin addict today. That doesn't happen. And yet if you go to the Haven of Rest and talk to some of those folks that some of our people helped and served yesterday, if you go down into the street and you find somebody who is obviously in a bad way, and you ask them, how did this, how did this happen? How did this start? Where does this all begin? And almost to a man or to a woman, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you know, when I was younger, I had a friend. Nobody wakes up one morning and decides that they're going to become an alcoholic today. Nobody does that. This past Wednesday night, after prayer meeting, I had a hankering for a submarine sandwich. I had a hankering for a subway sub. And so I headed over to Atwater. And I pulled in there to get my subway sub. And, you know, I was disgusted and saddened and and a little bit mad, actually, to look at the overflowing parking lot of the bar next door. I hope none of us were there. So it made me very sad. We have too many bars in this town. But, you know, if you were to walk into that place, you were to walk up to the once attractive young lady who's sitting at the bar right now nursing a drink, bloodshot eyes and you know, clearly a drunk. And say, how'd you come to this? You know what she's going to say? She's going to say, when I was in junior high, I had a friend. And they helped me to take that first drink. 
Listen, we need to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. We need to hear it for ourselves and examine the friendships in our lives. Parents, you need to hear it for your children's sake. Examine the friendships in their lives. Friends are wonderful. Friends are also deadly. One man said, show me your friends, I'll show you your spiritual direction. Show me your friends and I'll show you what habits you will soon have. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. May we have friends that honor God. May we be friends that honor God.